You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. Today is another good episode man, I tell you what, uh, lately I've been having a lot of brands on that have been around the hunting industry for a long time and today's brand and today's guest is uh, no different, we're going to be talking with Moultrie. Um, a brand that started off with feeders, then kind of morphed into feeders and trail cameras into what they are today. And this company's been around since, man, the early 80s, like I think 1980. So that's a 40-year-old company, one of the most recognizable brands in the hunting industry, especially in the South. And uh, man, I talk with Derek Duke today. And we talk about company history, we talk about his role in the company, we talk about the evolution of their feeders, the evolution of trail cameras in general, and their specific trail cameras, and, and the uh, evolution of how they go about making decisions. So it's a really interesting episode uh, about a major player in the outdoor space and that is Moultrie so a uh, really awesome episode I know you guys are going to enjoy it if you're uh, a gear nerd kind of like myself this is a fun episode but before we get into today's podcast we got to do a quick commercial and it's just going to be real quick man I got some more information coming from uh, some of these uh, some of these brands but tethered right it's a saddle company and I'm excited because I, I just got a, uh, one of their saddles in the mail. They sent me one. And so this year, along with my tree stands that I've been using for, you know, pretty much my, I mean, if you were going to define me last season, I would have been a tree stand hunter. 
right? I don't typically hunt from the ground unless I go out west. But here in Iowa, where I put my 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 hunting strategy together for a big mature buck, I am using tree stands. I've been peer pressured by some of the guys at Tethered and some of the other people um, here at the network to tr- give saddle hunting a try. So finally, I broke and I said, "All right, screw it, I'll do it." I I. I talked to tethered and and we got to this partnership but uh it's gonna be really cool uh to to share with you guys my uh, me learning how to saddle hunt and so i don't know uh just stand by more information to come go to tethered.com if you want to find out more information uh or you just google tethered saddles and uh, a whole bunch of information will pop up uh more information coming on annihilator broadheads i'm going to try to get those guys on here to talk about their product line and the average conservationist uh, i keep going back to these guys being kind of a uh, not only do they talk the talk but they walk the walk when it comes to conservation now this has nothing to do with their product line it just means that they are putting conservation efforts in the mix of what they're trying to accomplish and so they not only let's see what when i'm just wearing like a green logo tee it almost looks like uh the, something they would wear to do pt in the army so i uh, i love the fit of their, their t-shirts awesome hats awesome hoodies awesome logo wear it's a lifestyle brand that donates 10 percent of all of their profits to um all of their profits to not all of it, 10% of their profits to a conservation effort. And so that's big, man. Not a lot of companies do that. And these guys are taking the initiative and they're, and they're, they're setting, they're setting a precedent for what should be. And lastly, uh, so go, go visit the average conservationist.com. I got a discount code somewhere. Oh, here it is. Uh, discount code NFC one zero NFC one zero for 10% off hunt stand. Man, go to HuntStand.com, read up on everything that makes this mobile app awesome. And so HuntStand, it's one of those, uh, it's an app that shows you property owners, uh, shows you property boundaries, it shows you uh, updated satellite imagery, you can upload, let's say you have a, you use a, currently use a different one, a different mobile app. Well, you can get HuntStand and then you can import all of your old or current or whatever your pins, your uh, your waypoints onto, let's see, uh, onto HuntStand. And uh, then you can just seamlessly transition into HuntStand. It's only like 30 bucks for an entire year for their top program. So you're getting updated satellite imagery on a monthly basis you're getting detailed maps you're getting trail camera uh being able to um uh, save and uh geez i'm at a loss for words today and i really do apologize but uh like organize your trail cam pictures i mean hunt stand is just an amazing an amazing app you guys definitely need to go check it out huntstand.com Read up on all the functionality, and then uh, discount code SN20 for 20% off of 30 bucks, basically. So it's uh, it's a it's a great uh, value, and uh, tons of great content on that website as well. So HuntStand.com. All right, let's get into today's podcast with Moultrie. All right, on the phone with me from Moultrie, Mr. Derek Duke. Derek, how we doing, man? 
Doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How was your turkey season? Uh, actually, it was a little slow, but I ended up wrapping it up with a bird this past weekend at the end of the Alabama season. Awesome, man. So, uh, Congrats. Can't complain. Yeah. So, uh, how long does Alabama season run? It goes, it goes, it starts in March, right? Yeah, this year it started, uh, I think March 15th. It's a little later. It's about a week or two later than normal. Um, they were trying to get the turkeys a little bit longer to breed and it went all the way through Mother's Day. Okay. Uh, which is kind of kind of interesting decision by the DNR at Alabama because every turkey hunter in Alabama was having to justify that last weekend with their wife. With their wife. <laughs> uh, it's almost like, hey, just do me a favor and cut it off before Mother's Day so I don't have – it just avoids the arguments. I know, I know. I had the conversation. And luckily, I was able to get it done Saturday morning, and so I didn't have to worry about Sunday. There you but, go. Uh, so that was like a uh, – congratulations on the turkey, but also congratulations for not – uh, you know, upsetting your wife on Mother's Day. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, this, this podcast is going to be about Moultrie, uh, the company, and they do a variety of different things and they've been around the industry for a very long time. Uh, so why don't we just kick it off, Derek, with you telling us a little bit about what you do, what your role is within Moultrie. Sure. Um, so my title is the Moultrie like product development manager. And so we, I'm in charge of everything NPD um, as well as product line maintenance for Moultrie. And that includes feeders mainly, but also traditional trail cameras. Uh, Moultrie Mobile has kind of segued into their own entity and basically our group, the signature hunting group focuses on, on everything else uh, for the, under the Pradco umbrella. And so my role is Moultrie itself. And so I have, and a, a team here that we just handle everything from to packaging to we have our own customer service group to troubleshooting to suppliers. I mean, everything that involves the brand is, is up to us. Yeah. And so, you know, with two different categories under one brand name, right? Um, how difficult, I mean, I don't know, is it, is it difficult to bounce back and forth between feeders and, and trail cameras? Obviously they're two completely different products. Yeah, it can be. Um, it's kind of a, it was kind of a recent shift within the company, um, to do it that way. Uh, but it made sense to put a lot, you know, focus, keep the people focused on cellular cams. Um, but we, we've assembled a team here that's that's pretty good. Before, I was kind of by myself on feeders as far as NPD and product design. And so bringing in a little bit more help uh, has really helped with that. So Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys are based out of where? Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. All right. So all of the, all of the Pradco hunting is out of Birmingham. Yes, sir. Pradco hunting is out of Birmingham, and the Pradco fishing group is out of Arkansas. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. So I talked, the last guy I talked with from Pradco, I think he, he managed the summit line. And so he talked a little bit about, uh, you know, working in the hunting industry and, uh, being able to get out and, and do some hunting in your position. Uh, are you able to get out and get a lot of hunting done throughout the year? Uh, obviously not as much as I'd like to, I think that's everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're, we're in a unique position to where everybody's like us in the sense that they think about it all day, every day, what, what they can do to get better missed opportunities, how they can capitalize on that. And so we're, we're in the same boat, you know, luckily we can come into work and 
look at trail cam photos on our work computers and we're not going to get in trouble <laughs> from our boss for actually doing it anymore. Um, but, um, but no, we, you know, it's, it's, it's still a job for us. We put in a lot of hours, um, trying to make sure that, you know, we get products to the market that the customer can use to be successful in the field uh, and products that we can use to be successful in the field. And so, uh, we spend a lot of time product testing and stuff, but, uh, awesome. That's great. All right. So, uh, let's, let's go all the way to the beginning. Um, can you, can you share with us a little bit about when Moultrie started? Sure. Yeah. We, um, obviously started with Dan Moultrie back in 1979. Um, and talking to Dan, you know, he had this idea, it kind of started with trail cameras shortly after that too, but he just kind of had some ideas for him and it's the same kind of methodology we use today. He had an idea of something he could use to be successful. Um, found a way to take it to the market and the feeder was the automated feeder was actually big so that you didn't waste all of your feed in a trough or something like that. So it really helped people um, broadcast and um, and save some of their feed. And so figuring out how to get that to market, how to get it into places that it's accessible. And uh, he really kind of started some of that industry for us, especially down here in the South um, to where people can actually use these things to be successful. And that carried over for, I think, 20 or 30 years, really, he, he was really the, the guy that, that, that put our brand on the map that was su- successful. And um, we, I think, I can't remember the year it was acquired. I think it was early 2000s, um, but that nationally recognized brand was acquired by Pradco. Pradco, seeing a good thing, did not want to interfere too much. Dan is still a little bit involved now. He, he We get his... You know, obviously we want his blessing on all of our products, right? And so we, we have him in the office and give him our products to test for us and give us feedback. So he's still somewhat involved. But um, um, it kind of transit. His methodology is still kind of used with us today in our in our product design. You know, he he likes to understand that we use the products. He likes to see that we are are seeing the end application of those products and. Um, yeah, he, he, he likes to pay us a visit and talk to us on how, how everything is going still. Yeah, that's awesome that he's still involved. You know, uh, I know a lot of, you know, a lot of companies and, you know, some of it is, ah, I don't want to work anymore. And some of it is, hey, I, you know, I'm going to sell my business. But, you know, truly, if you if you grow a brand, you build it and you you put your blood, sweat and tears into getting it to a position to where another company wants to buy it in a way that you that brand still you you still reflect that brand that brand still reflects you even after that so it's good to see you know him still being involved in you know uh you know probably not day-to-day operations but you know giving his blessing on certain things and and doing walkthroughs and i don't know i i just find that pretty cool well let me put it this way i think my first couple weeks with pradco uh, i've been here for about four years now and uh he immediately wanted, you know, the new feeder guy. He wanted to meet me and he wanted to understand what I was about, basically. Yeah. And so I ended up going to his farm and helping him all day, getting ready for dove hunts and, and managing his property and rode around with him. And he's asking me questions all day. You know, what do you think about this? And how would you do that? And, you know, just kind of picking my brain on, on you know, what I was about and how I like to do things. And, 
how I like to, to build products that, you know, people can be successful with and kind of give me, you know, his methodology and stuff like that. So immediately he was picking my brain on what kind of person I was going to be for the company, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Now let's, let's kind of go to the very beginning and talk a little bit about this initial feeder that was created you know, way back in the day and, uh, talk a little bit about w- how that kicked off this entire brand. Yeah. So he, uh, Dan likes to overbuild things, um, for a good reason. Um, he likes things to be stout, to be usable, to be reliable. And so, um, you know, his designs had a, had like a, a leg angle of 30 degrees, which would provide enough stability for any wind shear during a storm with an empty feeder. Um, you know, he had it all built out of metal so it couldn't be chewed by squirrels. Um, and he had a simple automated timer that was easy to use. And, uh, you know, taking that, you know, most of the things, a lot of things in this world that are successful are, are very simple. And it's a simple, simple concept, although it's, you know, difficult to take that to the market. But um, basically solving a problem that everybody didn't know they had, right? Right. So everybody using the trough feeder didn't really initially probably see an issue with it and then when they saw this automated feeder like man that would be so awesome that i could make my feed last a little bit longer i could broadcast it to spread the deer out um and so taking that to market um you know he had to have a lot of conversations with people and get those relationships built um to where he could take that and in, in taking a product that he initially built that's overbuilt and making it affordable for the consumer is, is the hardest part. And Dan will tell you that. I mean, he, it's making it to where it makes it to the store and it's not, because that's our methodology is, you know, the, 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 the everyday hunter, right. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to make a product for a land manager um, somebody that has a lot of land, a lot of resources, uh, needs a, a whole, whole, whole lot of feed, but the price of that product is, is really high. You might have to deliver it on a skid or a, an LTL less than truckload. And so, you know, Dan's idea is not only the feeder, but also how to make that affordable for the everyday person. And, you know, we, we, we keep that in our, in the back of our mind all the time. Like me, consumer i was i still am a consumer in our industry you know i go to the store and it's like man I, I i like this concept but you know it's it's a little too high for me and so we're like okay well how what can we do to make this affordable for the everyday person yeah make make them successful yeah uh, so when you know as uh, as this brand starts to kick off you know in the early 80s and and he you know, comes up the first, one of the first offerings was a, a, a timed feeder. It wasn't like a gravity feeder. So right out of the gate, he came out with like a, an automated system. Yeah. He had an automated, um, timer in there and it's, uh, we have, I think we have some old samples I'd have to find. Um, and then shortly, shortly after that is when he started on trail cameras, but he, we, he had a uh, gravity, uh, head for it as well, you know, cause, the, the, one of the troubles with a, a timed feeder, which he realized quickly, is um, feed types. And, you know, in in gray, protein pellets and things that are very uh, sensitive to moisture, um, in order to broadcast a feed really 
well. It has to have um, small internal friction, right? And so it can flow easily. And so you have to constrict it down to a certain size to where you'll actually get consistent flow. And uh, so he would all, he shortly realized he had to offer a gravity solution as well for somebody that wanted to feed different types other than like a, a, a feed with low internal friction like deer corn, right? And so he, he did offer both and we have several models of those as well throughout the past. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So where, where was the product tested? I mean, this, this was a Southern thing, right? Uh, yeah, it started, I mean, at least the Moultrie brand started down here, you know, Dan grew up around Birmingham and he had a family place over in Southern Georgia. So that was kind of Bur uh, central Alabama and Southern Georgia were kind of his proving grounds for the product. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I see that obviously taking off down there because it's a, um, you know, whether it's a hunt club or a lease or things. And, and given the fact that in, in certain Southern states, you can bait deer. Um, right. so all of this is, is legal and, and the amount of money spent on feed, um, once like, where was the point with the feeders where it was just like, you know, you put one up on somebody's property or maybe like a hunting lease or uh, a hunt camp or something like that. And all these people see it and they talk about it. And I, I see, and even, cause back then there was no social. So I, I see this being like a, a word of mouth spread about these products. Definitely. Yeah. And so uh, part of that word of mouth also is, is uh, herd health, you know? And so the, the deer population in Alabama, you know, back in early 1900s, you know, our, our deer population was hunted pretty low and uh, they actually, the DNR imported uh, two other different bloodlines of deer. And so the state of Alabama actually has three different, ruts and yeah. so de depending on where you are in the state um you know and what bloodline of deer is kind of bred in that area the east alabama north alabama or mid to south alabama um you know you can have a, a rut in november you can have a rut in december or you can have a rut in late january yeah and so 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 herd health was important to everybody including the dnr and so not only you know being successful in harvesting uh but also in herd health and so so Dan, part of that word of mouth was not just that, you know, Dan was successful using these products. So it was also like, look, look at the quality of deer that he's able to keep on his place because of how he's supplemental feeding. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and so that is what people want, especially in those scenarios. They don't want the, the deer going onto their neighbor's farm. They want to keep the deer on, on their farm. And this is the, the best way to do it with the fact that you're not wasting this grain exactly awesome yeah okay so as you know and we'll get into kind of the the trail cameras here in a little bit because it sounds like they're you know from from a chronological order they they're coming up fairly soon in this how did the moultrie feeder then evolve over this time frame uh, how did it get better did he learn anything about the materials how it's being used and used that information to evolve the product into the next generations so that's when kind of business kicks in, right? So he had right. this, he had this idea. He's proven it can be successful in the market. He's created these products. And so taking that information and finding 
suppliers that are reliable, setting up a supply chain, evolving the, the bill of materials to where it's sustainable and, uh, and making it, like I said, affordable to the consumer kind of had to shift, um, you know, some of his design in order to make, to accomplish that. And so he, he switched to vet suppliers that could, uh, make the quantities he needed instead of small batches, you know, he needed a product that was sustainable over larger quantities and, um, and refine his design. So like, you know, we switched from, when you say larger quality or quantities, you mean the amount of feed a feeder can hold. No, I mean the amount of uh, feeders he can sell into the market. Oh, okay. I got you. All right. So, so the, from the business aspect, you know, um, you might have a supplier that's really good, but their capacity is limited, especially if they have multiple customers. And so, taking that and qualifying a new supplier to where, okay, this is, this is what I need. This is how I need it. These are the, these are the quality points I need to hit. Uh, these are the dimensions I need um, to make my product successful, but I need a certain amount of um, annual units and I need them, you know, give them the projections of what you uh, see your business doing and going back and saying, okay, this is what our plan was. And this is where we actually sold the number we actually sold. And this is our forecast going forward and showing that growth and trying to get a supplier that can ramp production and scale with you as you go. And so that's, that was his mindset. You know, I've, I've got this product I've proven in the market. It's a great idea. You know, these people love it. I'm getting great feedback. How do I grow the business? How do I make sure that I keep the quality I need in order for the product product to uh, maintain success in the market and, um, you know, keep the, keep the brand in good standing. And so, scaling the business was the next focus and uh he had to make design tweaks along the way based on his suppliers um for example you know we we switched um back in the early 2000s as well from uh bolting your feeder legs to the barrel on the original like moultrie barrel feeder design to what we call a belly band and basically it's uh a band that wraps around the feeder that you bolt with one bolt and then you insert all your leg poles after that and really the, one of the motivations for that is one safety, but two installation. So for years from 1979 to that point, if you wanted to use one of the multi barrel feeders, you had to drill, we would, we would pre-drill and punch the holes for you. But if you had your own barrel, you'd have to drill out, you know, um, 12 holes for, for bolts to mount it to it. You had a bunch of hardware, you had a bunch of jagged edges on the metal. And so we saw that and had feedback from the customer that, you know, we love the feeder. This is just kind of, a pain in the butt to put together and so we updated the design to make installation a lot simpler a lot safer and um and faster to where you know in alabama it's hot you know i don't want to be out in the field having to do this myself and so we were trying to figure out a way to make that easier for the consumer and so we we adjusted the design to accommodate that make sure that people are happy with the product yeah absolutely all right so um you get into you get into the stores, you start to, you know, uh, you start to, um, uh, how do I say this? Your, your product starts to hit the country, right? And, right? and and so the brand is, you know, the product's there, people are starting to buy it. At what point does Moultrie become this brand that everybody recognizes? Um, late 80s is in the South especially yeah 
I think uh, I think that's really in Alabama and Georgia, Mississippi when it really started to hit his late 80s. You know, he contract or had some joint ventures with Mossy Oak, used some of the Mossy Oak camo on the barrels, um, and kind of did some joint marketing with some other brands down here. And then uh, in the in the 90s, in the early not early mid 90s is really when it started to when he started to get into some of the big box stores and reach more and more consumers across the country. It's really when it started to grow, and so it's really just been exponential from the late 80s, early 90s until now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so along this time frame, though, um, we and this this was my first introduction into the Moultrie brand. Somewhere in this timeline, though, we start. You guys introduce trail cameras, and so I'll tell you right now that my first. The first trail camera that I ever bought was a Moultrie trail camera that is probably, to this day, I don't have it anymore, but it was probably the size of my laptop. I mean, it was yeah. it was not small. It ran off those big D batteries, I think like six or eight of them. And so it was okay. heavy. Um, it was, I had to use film to, you know, develop film. Uh, it's one of those trail cameras where if you put it in the wrong spot, all you're going to get is pictures of wind you know or the, just the random deer kind of moving it so i didn't even know what i was doing with it but i i saved up enough money and got one and so why does a, a brand instead of maybe spurring off into something that from a product standpoint is more relatable to a feeder decide to go into trail cameras so really it was i want to see what's coming to this feeder yeah and he makes sense he he the first camera he developed was actually tripwire and uh triggered and so he had you know an old film camera that he created an enclosure for that would you know last in the elements and he had a lens on it and um you know he didn't have a uh, pir sensor you know in, in, in the box at all and so he had to set up a tripwire to where it when it would go over it would take a picture whatever walked in front of it um i think the amount of triggers was limited and he had to come out and reset it all the time and like you said pull the pull the film and go develop it and so um but you know he figured out a way to to capture an image of what was coming to his feeder so he could you know until you know until unless he went and scouted or was out there during deer season he, he had no idea yeah just like everybody back in the day yeah. So, you know, it, it, I look at it then, you know, after you say that and I say, oh, my gosh, the products are different. But who wouldn't want to see what was going coming to their feeder? Right. Everybody wants to know that. So, right. So exactly. it's not really too far off of a of a, a pro, like a new product for a company. Now, with that said, then was was Moultrie one of the first trail cameras to hit the market? Yeah, Moultrie uh, developed the first trail camera. I yeah. mean, that, that tripwire camera was the first trail camera on the market. Yeah. And so under the under the Moultrie brand, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, yep. And so at, what year was that, roughly? Um, I don't know the exact year. I know it was in the 80s, you know, after he started the feeder company in 79. I mean, he immediately saw the need and started development. And uh, I want to say it was the early 80s that he developed that camera and released it to the market. Okay. So, so now we have 
uh, a secondary product? Was it easier to get the brand out or the the word out about these um, these these tripwire cameras now that you already had an established feeder line going? Yeah, it was. He could dual market, right? So he could say, you know, I have you've been using my feeders um, and been having success with our other products. Here's another product um, that can again solve a need you didn't know you uh, solve a problem you didn't know you had. Yeah. Right. Right. At the time, they didn't really think about being able to see what was there when they weren't there, and so when they when they see a product, they say, you know what? I really, really wish I could understand what's coming through here when I wasn't here. Yeah. And so, um, how, they, how did that work? Was that was that film that needed to be developed? Yes, sir. In the in the early cameras, there was basically we have some of the samples here. Is you'd open that enclosure, and it was like a Kodak camera uh, in, installed inside this enclosure. So you had to pull out the Kodak camera, pull out the film, take it to get developed. Okay. Uh, and so we're taught how many, well, I, I believe when I first started running film trail cameras, it, the max that you could do was like 32 exposures or something like that. Yeah. I think the first one was like half, half that probably. Yeah. So we're talking somewhere between 20, 15 to 20, uh, cameras. And then the thing about it is once that th- once that tripwire went off, right, you had to go, it was only a one-time deal, right? Yep. Right. Yes, so had to go reset it. Reset it every time, and you didn't know if it was, it was off, so you had to dedicate more, like, time to go check it out. Um, was there any, uh, that you know of, was there any, uh, like, resistance to a product like that right off the bat? Um. Well, I think it took some time to be accepted by the consumer for those pain points, right? And so that's when Dan was like, well, I, I still really believe in this product, so let's find a way to make it better to where it's less of a hassle. And the first thing to do was to figure out a way it could be triggered down a tripwire so you didn't have to go. You could get all your images uh, filled, so the next time you go out there, you just pull the film go get it developed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so... What did that evolution look like from the tripwire camera into the, you know, the, the sense that the trigger, the actual trigger or a, uh, a motion sensor being added into a camera? So basically it was adding an infrared receiver that would trigger on heat. Right. And so, and the, the concept is still used today in all trail cameras. However, the sensors have just gotten much, much better. Yeah. Um, but he had a, he tried to source a, a, a cost-effective infrared sensor that could trigger on heat, and it was very effective. I mean, and it was uh, heat that did it. Correct. Right? Yeah, that infrared that infrared sensor uh, senses heat, uh, a change in heat that's big enough to trigger the camera. And it's the PIR sensors used in all cameras today are operative off the same basic function that PIR sensor is still triggering off of heat. Okay. 
Um, but to me, that even sounds, you know, great. But my my thought process goes, hey, man, if I'm if I'm if I'm pointing this at a feeder or I'm pointing it at something and the sun changes and all of a sudden the sun comes up and warms up a piece of wood in front of me or a tree or the ground in front of me or something like that. There might if it's if it's strictly thermal, then it would it could throw a wrench into, you know, what you're actually trying to accomplish. Did did you guys run into any of that during like product testing or after the the product was launched initially yeah no doubt i mean that's where kind of the evolution of the product and going back and making those tweaks to eliminate those pain points comes into play um you know if it's again hot in the south it's super sunny you know and you have it pointed at a uh, a piece of a rock or a plant that's been in the sun all day you know you could get false triggers right um and based on the sensitivity of that infrared sensor Okay, cool. Um, so this was then identified, and I take it like what was how long did that that method last until it was truly motion sensing? Um, I I'm not really sure the exact time on it during those years, but my understanding is that within four or five years they had it the sensitivity set to where a lot of those false triggers would be eliminated. I'm not going to say there weren't any false triggers. We yeah. tried to minimize that, uh, those false triggers on those cameras. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's always a better way of doing th- things, especially in technology. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. The, you know, eventually the, the technology is there to get into something different. That's more effective and, uh, more, um, efficient. And, and so, as you guys start, um, this is this is kind of a, a, a topic that everybody asks and, uh, when you're talking about trail cameras, and that's battery life. Even today, it's like, what's the battery life with this? And and for the most part, man, all these, these new trail cameras coming out, if you put a, a fresh set of batteries, especially lithiums in them, they'll last almost a whole year out in the woods, given the the tra- the high whether it's a high traffic area or not right so right a lot of that is application based yeah uh, they're set up to be successful to where you can put it in a situation where it can last a long time exactly um, exactly but it, a lot of that's why we try to 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 release editorials and articles uh trying to to educate like the best ways to set up uh your trail camera to avoid any issues like that right right so with that said, uh, what did the, like, what did the process of making the camera more efficient look like? Because I, I you know, the batteries on the first trail camera that I used, it was like, and I felt like it was a month maybe. Uh, and then I would have to go out and start changing, ch- changing batteries again. Um, like, and then you get to this point now or what we just talked about and now they're lasting a very long time. The camera's more efficient. What did that evolution look like? So, you know, you got in, in this product design, it's a, it's a feature versus functionality, right? So sometimes you got to rob Peter to pay Paul. And so market feedback will kind of dictate that as, as the product evolution goes along. So, you know, just, you're just like everybody in the market. Like I really want clear pictures. I want uh, further trigger um, detection range. Yes. And so a lot of a lot of times, if you do that, you know, you, if you make the camera more powerful, it needs more power. And so as your power sources also evolve to get more efficient, you know, you could add 
if you added the feature um, to a camera with an older power source that's less effective, you have that feature set, but your battery life would get down. And so you had to, okay, let me reevaluate. You know, so throughout throughout these years that was done every year, you know, we operate on the annual NPD cycle. And so every year you sit back down and say, okay, I really like these four things out of this camera, right? And, but the issue we have is battery life or this camera has really good battery life, but it's lacking on these features. And so how do you merge those two things together to make a better product on both sides? Yeah. So every year they'd sit down and, and try to, so they really, they try to evolve the feature sets first. And I think that was true on everybody that popped up on the trail camera scene and you go after feature sets, but your battery life would suffer. And so you turn around the next year and say, okay, where is a, a more efficient energy source that we can use? How can we incorporate it? And so technology, if it, the effect, efficient, efficiency of the technology, as well as the efficiency of the power sources kind of evolved together throughout those, I would say those 20 years probably and still doing so today. Yeah. Yeah. Every year something cool comes out about a, a trail camera, whether it's, you know, longer life, faster trigger speed, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, now, as you guys start to get in deeper into the uh, the the trail camera game, what was the feedback from the end user? What did they want? What were they looking for? What were some of their their big complaints about your guys's products? Uh, in the early days, I mean, like you said, one would be time to get pictures. That's why the switch to digital in the in the nineties was so huge. Is I didn't have to go develop film i could download it you know directly um but also battery life leave it out there longer you know let your camera soak in the woods a little bit longer to eliminate your sin exposure um and capacity of images as well like right it was always you know i want more images i want it to stay out there longer and i want to be able to get the images faster yeah yeah and that i mean I don't know if I'd still be using trail cameras, to be honest with you, uh, based off of where I hunt, where I live, my schedule, if it meant having to go back m more times throughout a, I don't know, more times throughout a year to check, to develop, to, you know, instead of just popping them, even an adapter on, on the phone or checking them right from the actual trail camera. You know what I mean? So, right. so exactly. this evolution has made it, you know, long story short, more user friendly, meaning more people can can use trail cameras. Yeah, and that's the more convenience you can add to it, um, the more the product will get used. I mean, and that's for any product. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then so, obviously, you had you took this criticism about your products from the end users. You took it back, uh, you, you researched, you developed and out comes the, you know, out comes a, a better product next year. Aside from that, how does a brand like Moultrie, you know, I always like asking this, this question from a, a new product development standpoint. Um, what, what are the conversations currently look like for you guys when you're sitting around the round table. It's time to start talking about the new products um, and the technology available. And you want to put something cool out that captures people's attention, but is affordable. You know, all that, all that conversation. What do those conversations look like? 
So you kind of, the biggest thing you can do at the beginning is to figure out what your must haves are, right? Your, your, your minimum viable product, your MVP. So I need, you sit down and you figure out like what grand scheme, pie in the sky, what are the things that we really want to achieve out of this new product? And so you take that uh, and, and, and develop, take that into development and say, okay, well, how do we, how do we get there? Um, as you're doing that, you say, okay, also, let me look at the, the market, right? And see where we feel like this will be successful price-wise in the market. Um, because that's a huge, that's a huge factor. You know, I mean, if I, if we make a trail camera that can do everything you could imagine or ever want out of a camera, but it's $800, you know, we're not, we're not going to survive as a brand or a company by doing that. Um, right. Because it, we just will not sell uh, units. Yeah. And, you know, we are a company. We, I, we do have to make a profit because we still want to have a job next year. Right. <laughs> and, and so that's a huge, huge factor. And so we, we, you take the, we break down that design, you come up with preliminary ideas to say, okay, I think we can get there by using this product set and, and going through those evaluations of um, here's a schematic, here is a presentation of how we think we can get there, and you kind of cost it out as you go to make sure you're still going to hit your price points. Um, and it's, 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 it's taking a product to the market is probably the hardest thing you can do in business, I feel like. I mean, and that's it's any, any market, really especially the hunting market is, you know, you, we, we will want to make products that we can use and be successful with, let alone everybody else. And so, um, being hunters and understanding the end use application is, is absolutely huge in that design process. Because if you, if you sit at that table and have big pie in the sky ideas, you can come up with feature sets that, uh, you know, really don't add value to the product, if that makes any sense. And so, yeah having sanity checks kind of throughout that process is, is huge. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so now when it comes to, I want to, I want to take a, I want to ask that same question now. Um, cause obviously technology for trail cameras, technology changes all the time. So there's always, whether it's a, a processing chip or a wire or trigger speed, like these are all things that over time are just going to get better and better and better. Right? right now, when it comes to a feeder, you know, maybe the motor of, a uh, a feeder can get better. Uh, and the, but at the same time, like it's do like the technology may not be necessary in in dispensing food from a bucket or uh you know a container onto the ground or into something like that right so i i i'm just envisioning and maybe this is me being short minded but the 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 evolution of a feeder probably can only go so far well i mean there's a lot of things you can do with those products um it's just kind of testing the waters on really what would be well received by the market. You know, the evolution of that, like you said, the evolution of that product has been a lot slower um, as far as adding more technology to it, just because it really hasn't been as much of a need for that. Um, now, so the development really goes back into efficiencies. Like how do I make that battery last longer? 
you know, and, and what battery can I use to make sure it actually can go through the thermal cycling, uh, not only in the south or, you know, closer to the equator, but also in the frigid regions. Um, and how do we make that accessible and affordable for everybody? And so we do a lot of, uh, we have product testers, you know, we test it down here in humid environments and we have product testers like in Canada that, that really just put it through its paces up in the cold to make sure it can still work. Yeah. Um, so basically it just comes down to product testing uh, in a whole bunch of different environments and re basically refining everything to make sure there's no, like, th nothing bad happens to the end user. Right. right. And make it more, keep it affordable to the consumer, make it more and more reliable and efficient um, and, and in all applications. Yeah. In today's market, do you ever see, you know, everybody wants to, obviously it's a business. Everybody wants to make money. Um, everybody wants to make the product, um, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, everybody wants to make a, a product as cheap as possible, but having the quality as high as possible and charging something to a, a client. So the margins are there. So the company can stay in business. Right. Exactly. Do you ever see like, how do I put this? I want to ask the question of, do you ever see products being reduced in price because of a new technology uh, that is more affordable or um, kind of a hard question to ask, but basically do you ever see like the cost of products going down because of a, a new way of doing things? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that is possible. Generally what happens though, is that new, that new technology is generally more expensive when it's first introduced. I mean, how expensive was your first Apple iPod? Right. You know, right. versus how much does that cost today? Well, actually, I think they just eliminated it. Yeah. But the, you know, that that cost was comparable at the beginning to a low grade iPhone, which can do so much more nowadays. And so a lot of times if you try to get in on the front end of that technology, the cost it's just not as cost effective early on as it is uh, later in the maturity of that product, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you generally your, your cost scaling will be high at first and go down as those suppliers make more and more and more and get more efficient in production of those products. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, let's talk now next five years, next 10 years, you know, like from a, from a Moultrie feeder standpoint, what is, what's the future look like for you guys? Yeah. So we're, we're in our, in the middle of our MPD cycle right now, um, you know, working with suppliers to get some of our ideas into fruition. And, you know, we're, we're working on making, we're really excited about a line of features we're coming out with next year that uh, will be more robust um, feed, more feed types, um, hit some different markets, you know, be, be a really good solution for, for several applications, be reliable, be user-friendly. Um, and I can't reveal too many of those details right now because we're, we're still in the, in the design process and, and really getting our suppliers up and running with manufacturing so we can be ready for release, um, you know, in January. Um, but we're, really excited about this line. I think it'll be well received, but in, you know, 
we're in the middle right now of saying, okay, well, these are the things I really want, and this is the cost it's going to take to get there. It's okay. Well, you know, is that cost well received um, by the consumers? You know, how much me as a as a consumer, how much would I be willing to pay for something like this? And so, yeah. I, I mean, we are really excited about this this new opportunity coming up in January. Um, so I think I think everybody will really like it. Yeah, obviously everybody keep an eye out for what's coming from Moultrie Feeders. Now, what about the the Trail Camber game? What uh, what's next from you know? And it's hard to ask this question, right? Because as far as where the attention is, everybody's talking uh, cell cams right now. So right. everybody wants to you know cell cam, cell cam, cell cam. Now, kind of go backing off just a bit and talking about the you know the the standard trail cameras with no cell service what uh what is there to improve on what's you know what's coming from the standard moultrie trail camera line right so it's it's hard to have that conversation without talking about cell cameras like you said um especially with how they pushed uh the success of trail cameras in the market um but you know there's still an if you're like me you spend a lot of times and a lot of time in the backwoods and I, I don't, you don't always have cell service. I mean, it, it, you just don't, at least where, where, you know, where I go. Yeah, same and here. so there's a lot of holes back in places where people don't go, where I really see opportunities as far as being successful, you know, harvesting game. And so we, we sit down and reflect on, okay, well, what do I need to be successful in those places? And how do I make that affordable and available to our consumer? And so, really the traditional trail camera is going to smaller more concealable efficient units to make them cost effective because we again we can build a super duper um you know high spec product that would be costly but is the consumer willing to spend that money on a traditional trail camera when they can go buy a cell cam because there's so much competition in the cell camera market right now that's driving costs down for the consumer, which is a good thing for the consumer. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, how do we make a traditional cam trail camera uh, attractive to the consumer in, uh, in competition with those items? And so um, making them smaller, more concealable, um, consume less battery, way more efficient, uh, and still give you high-quality photos um, so you can see what game is coming to your area. And, and videos and, and all that. So yeah, it's really, we're really where we focused on the micro series is taking our old A series cameras and saying, what can we do to make people more, um, more successful not only scouting, but also in security and monitoring of their properties. Yeah. So this micro series is just kind of a, uh, uh, a line that it, it's just a small small trail camera i mean what's the difference is it just a size thing or is there a functionality difference between the regular trail cameras well our old a series um we have similar specs but these are smaller housing um less batteries for you to have to tote in and out but also still give you the same high performance in fact better um better quality pictures than our old a series cameras gotcha gotcha cool Cool. All right. So I'm going to ask the same question two different times. And basically one is for the feeders and one is for the, uh, 
for the trail cameras. So a guy's looking at a feeder, whether it's a Moultrie or whether it's another brand, why should he consider picking up a Moultrie feeder over, uh, over your comp, uh, competition? We really put a lot of time into our products to make sure you can be successful with them. We, we want to make sure it's affordable, available to you. You can get parts when you need them. Um, we, we consider all aspects of the installation. You know, our feeders, when you put the legs together, you can, you can pick it up and move it without everything falling out on you. Right. I mean, it, and that's to me, that's huge. You know, I use some of the other cost competitive items, you know, you, you, you set it up and you're like, man, I really want it like 10 feet to the right. And you go to pick it up and it just, just falls apart. And so we, we want to make it as efficient for you to use as possible. So we have toolless assembly. You don't need to have a bunch of screwdrivers and wrenches with you when you set it up. Now I'm kind of oversimplifying because some of our metal feeders, um, due to the nature of the product, you will have to have tools, but our, our, majority of our lineup is toolless assembly right yeah and so um easy to set up um easy to use our 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 menu flows are intuitive uh we give you feature our new new timers you know we have 10 feet times per day you can toggle days of the week on and off so say you really want to preserve feed in the off season but you really want to put some mineral down or 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 something for your for your deer in the off season so they can grow antlers and and your does can can nurse their uh, their fawns um you know you can feed monday wednesday friday if you want to with our new timers that way you can save feed yeah um, and we're, we're going to be here for you if you have for some reason have an issue something happens we're here for you we want to make sure you're successful and so we work with all of our customers um, on anything they need yeah awesome all right uh same question but trail cameras really the same answer i mean um we really have the customer um, at the forefront of our design process. Um, we we want to make sure it's convenient for you to use. It's it's concealable in the field. So where you know it, we we have lockable. We have a lot of security box you can use with our cameras. You can lag it into a tree. You can use a Python cable. And a lot of people use these on public land. And so we're trying to incorporate all those features for you, so you can really use these in the field and be successful. And and we're going to be here for you. If you have a question, if you need something, you know, you can reach out to us on social. You can contact your customer service. I mean, we really, we, we're really here for the consumer. Perfect. Perfect. Well, um, obviously, MoultrieFeeders.com. You can go there and check out their feeders and their trail cameras. Um, obviously, you guys have social just like everybody does. So, Derek, man, I, I want to say thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and chat with, chat with us about Moultrie. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. If you need anything, let us know.